Welcome to Stepping Into Now. I'm Karen Toulon. This is your place for candid conversations about crafting your career, connecting with community, and clearing a pathway to success right now. Today, Natalia Walker, the founder of Walker Finance and the executive director and founder of Seeds of Fortune, Inc. She's joining us in conversation about fueling girl power, financial literacy, the higher education pipeline, and career development for young women of color. Natalia, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on the line, Karen. We're so excited to be here today for me to represent myself and Seeds of Fortune. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover. I want to talk with you about your personal journey, but first let's talk about Seeds of Fortune. It's a college prep and career and financial literacy program you started in your dorm room in Babson College in 2014, right? Yes, I can't even believe it's almost been like 10 years. That is bananas. But um, first, before we talk about it, in spirit of full disclosure, I do want to mention I received a Women in Business Award from Seeds many years ago. It holds a proud spot on my mantle. So what exactly is Seeds of Fortune? How do how many women, young women have been involved in and how do you provide support? So Seeds of Fortune, it's an education technology platform and scholars program. So we help young women by helping them find affordable college options, teaching them financial literacy and career development skill sets. We are able to impact about 2,500 young women on our platform. So we have two different components of it. You can enter into one of our signature scholars programs. We have four high school programs that we currently run right now. Our most popular one um, to date is our Young Women Economics Program, which helps to teach young women um, economics in the junior year. And then they deliver capstone projects based on how economics is playing out in their community um, and through a racial um, justice lens. And they deliver those capstones on Yale's campus in the summer. We have our Girl Startup Business Plan competition, we have our innovation research program, which allows girls to pretend to be the C-suite for the summer um, for our corporate partners. And then we have our college prep leadership program, which will be hosted at Columbia University um, in the fall. And through those enrichment opportunities, girls apply to our program. But for us, Seeds of Fortune is a community. It's a support system. So when you apply to one of our signature programs, you gain access to our EdTech platform, which provides modulistic trainings in the key competencies of college and scholarship prep, financial literacy, and career development skill sets, such as building your resume. So that's kind of how our seed ecosystem works. We have about 300 scholars that come through our program each year and about 2,000 users that access um, our um, insights, modules, workshops um, throughout the academic school year. And this news is, is, is very, very recent. Supreme Court deciding to strike down college affirmative action programs, um, theoretically ending the consideration of race and admissions. Your program is about getting into school, but it's about so much more. How, how, do, how, do, how might this decision affect your work or is it, or is it too soon to tell? I think it's a combination of too soon to tell, right? Because we have built um, over the last three years strategic college partnerships and our college partners are committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as financial security um, for affording college. Um, so we produce, in our opinion, students that are talented, leaders, 
They deserve to have any seat at any institution or university across the United States. So on their own merit alone, um, entry should be granted um, as long as they meet the requirements of that academic institution. Um, but at the same time, um, there is a lot of structural things that are in place that can make it difficult for a student, um, particularly that has under, been upper, underrepresented at certain universities for many years to be able to navigate that. Um, and we've experienced that um, being in the college access space for almost nine years. There's private schools that have very strong relationships with a lot of the um, top colleges and universities. A lot of those um, institutions are predominantly Caucasian. Um, top high schools that are producing um, students to be able to apply and enter into some of the more competitive colleges. Um, they are sometimes located in, you know, resource rich neighborhoods and historically um, neighborhoods that have high property taxes, have better educational systems. And, and there is a racial um, justice and equity lens that that comes with that. So it's really hard when um, it's like the chicken or the egg or the egg and the chicken. Right. It's like if you take one part of the consideration process away after it's been in, there's been so many systematic um, issues that have aligned with entry into higher education, um, it's pretty difficult to say that that wouldn't have a future effect. Right. And so I have an interesting stat. According to the National Center for Education, only 40% of Black students graduate from four-year universities and colleges within six years. That's compared with 64% of white students and those who don't finish on time either just continue to struggle along or drop out, sometimes therefore without a degree, but with a lot of debt. How do you manage that? Keep helping once 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 your 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 seeds get into schools, how do you help them stay in and actually finish? So we have a few mechanisms that we put in place. In 2016, we started the Seed University Network. Um, which was to encourage um, financial education throughout college and career placement um, and preparation throughout college. So we ourselves have strategic internship partners to keep the girls motivated, leadership opportunities that the girls can take place in um, to make themselves employable, um, and then also wellness check-ins to make sure that their mental, emotional well-being um, is on track as they are navigating the university landscape. Another thing that we implemented pretty early on is a screening of the colleges that our students are applying to. So looking to make sure those students, those schools themselves are matriculating their students through university. Is that university system um, successful at graduating students that have paid top dollar to be there? What are their career placement rates? So six months, six to 18 months outside of graduation have students at your university secured jobs. Um, and it's very important when we built the C curriculum for our girls to be looking at college as a return on investment and not just an educational or um, social pursuit. This is big business, big money, and they have to be taking their time to seriously pick a university that's going to invest in them. But then also our encouraging them of going to schools that are the right fit you know, career-wise, academically, but then also financially um, to make sure that, you know, their loan packages, if they do have them, um, are fair, their parents can pay them, um, and then making sure that they are um, getting the aid and scholarship support that they need to be able to attend those universities and successfully graduate. So in our, since our inception, we've graduated at a 90% rate, um, six classes through college. 
That is very impressive, 90% rate. Considering, I can't stress this enough, you're working with young people, especially at these times post-COVID. There's been so much going on. There's been a lot of economic, financial, societal upheaval the last couple of years. For, for, for the listeners who either have young people in their lives, work with young people, or listeners who may actually be young people themselves, how do you keep young people focused? How do you keep that determination level going, that, 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 that attention span locked in on right now, doing what they need to do day in, day out? And then also at the same time, two things at once, also keeping focused on that future goal. How do you do that? Yeah, I cannot say it is easy. Teenagers are fickle creatures sometimes, you know? But I think there's two things that we implemented in SEEDS when we first started. And the first one was that if we told the students, okay, we want to teach you financial literacy, they're going to be like, okay, I have 10 thing, other things to do, right? For our first cohort of classes, it was Instagram, Facebook, now it's TikTok. Anything can distract students from like their future goals. But we knew that college, especially of those that were already on the pathway of wanting to go, could be the perfect time to introduce financial literacy through the college process. Because at the end of the day, in our opinion, college is a financial decision because it is almost as expensive as a house. Like if you look at it, some of the top schools people want to go to Harvard, Columbia, those schools cost $80,000 a year. 80 times four, what is that? $240,000 by the time you are, give or take, you are leaving, that's a house, right? That's a lifetime mortgage that people are paying off for 30 years. So getting the girls to kind of understand like this very short-term decision that you're making actually has long-term impact. And then two, it never hurts to dress up, you know, your programming and some exciting competitions and engagements. Um, so for us, we're looking for girls that, you know, want to change their communities, want to be leaders, um, see that there's injustices happening in the world and want, want to do something about that. So having overnight trips, having capstone projects where they can, it's a short term deliverable, but in those short term deliverables, they are keeping their eyes on the prize of the long term goal of going and finishing and graduating college. Our Girl Startup Business Plan competition um, has been around since, I would say, like 2017 in our original scholars program. We pulled it out and made it its own program last year. And just being able to have the students, right, know that there's, if you build an entrepreneurial idea that people want to buy your product and services, that can lead to a lifetime of wealth for you, right? So having that short-term kind of, okay, this is your business idea, doesn't hurt to have some grand prizes. So this year's grand prize is $10,000 and a trip to Miami. Um, so to lay down on the beach, get some virgin pina coladas, never hurts. I'm incentivizing teenagers. Um, but in the long term, they now have this um, idea that they put manifested into the world in a physical um, space to be able to talk about it. Like, this is a problem I saw. This is a business problem I wanted to solve. And on top of that, I might have got a little treat or so um, from it. So yes. I think, yeah. That's amazing. You know, I really want to dive into the money. I love the notion of college being, looking at it through the lens of return on investment. Um, so far, I think you've offered about $45 million in grants and scholarships have been funneled through your program. Is that right? 
Yeah, so what we do is we teach the girls on how to maximize their scholarship applications to be able to get the best offers from the best or the best fit institutions from them. Um, so these are, from our inception, the girls have accepted $45 million in scholarship from higher education institutions across um, the country. But there's they've been offered way more than that um, from different institutions. But for us, it's, it's important that the girls have sustainable funding mechanisms through college. A lot of times parents or when they get the letters, um, the acceptance letters and then their financial aid letters, it says like, you have been granted $50,000 scholarship. And they're like, yeah, that covers like one year. And they're like, no, spread out across four. So, right, it's really a third of the cost. So for us, it's like, okay, look at the cost, look at the return on investment. But then also, I think what's kind of fun about our process with them is that we're teaching them real skills for the real work, work, work world because we will tell them to go back and appeal their financial aid packages. That's negotiating your salary, basically, right? We look at it as the college should be paying you, right? You have built up all these assets about you over the last four years of high school. That equates to money, right? Because the college is expecting you to pay something for your education, but there's something in it for them as well. And so staying in the money vein, you've talked about having strategic partners. How do you raise um, funds to support your organization? And has it become easier or harder in the last couple of years to, to do the fundraising that you need to do? So I would say that originally we had our Seeds of Bloom Awards, um, which um, Karen and some other wonderful um, recipients have been able to participate that helped us funnel money into the organization. Um, but I will say that after COVID and um, George Floyd's um, death, that there was a high concentration on supporting um, women and minority-led nonprofit organizations. And there was like a clear, visible, right, injustice that had been done and shown across the globe that held corporations and institutions and foundations accountable to what other injustices are hidden or cannot be seen that we need to rectify as a society. Two, we just taught the girls this in Girl Startup, but timing is everything. We started as a selective scholars program in New York City. We recruited girls across the five boroughs to compete for 20 spots um, annually for our first um, six years of inception. Because we had become quite popular by like 2018, we had about 250 applicants for 20 spots, which was about less than 10% of students can get in. I felt personally that if we're gonna empower, our mission statement is to financially empower young women of color. And if some people are left out of the fold, how can we truly um, empower our community as a whole um, to be able to move forward or be educated in the finances of college and beyond. So with that, I also worked in the technology field, the SaaS product field. And I thought that looking at the data, because I was data heavy metrics on Gen Z, that they actually had a lot of stats that Gen Z was spending more time online. And from there, I knew that there might be an appetite for an online community. So for the girls to be able to come in and still get the information and resources even if they weren't necessarily a part of our original structure of the scholars program. So that was built in, we built the EdTech platform in 2019 and in 2020, COVID happened. So 
the schools had shut down during that time period. So there was no access to college advisors for the class of 2021. So with that, it started to spread organically with the students that were on lockdown to be able to have um, some type of college support resource that they could do on their own to be able to help them navigate the college process. So with that timing kind of played in our favor where our product, our new product that we were offering was a high demand in the marketplace. And with that, it allowed us to be scalable. So with scalability, it brought new funding opportunities to us as an organization with the highlighting of women and minority led um, businesses. So with those combinations, it has become easier to fundraise, but still founders of color are underfunded compared to um, Caucasian um, founders or those led leading nonprofit organizations. You've been very, very busy the last couple of years, but in particular, I wanted to switch for the moment to Ghana. You've expanded into Ghana. How did that come about? Yeah, so in 2019, going to 2020, and then 20 going to 2021, Ghana had did a call of the return, and it was 400 years um, post-slavery. So they wanted to bring, they wanted to bring um, the diaspora back together. Um, to complement and have them come back to the motherland because um, Ghana specifically um, in the Cape Coast has the point of no return. So it was kind of like a healing, healing almost pilgrimage um, from those of the diaspora to come back to Ghana, one, to celebrate our resistance um, as a people to survive slavery, but then a homecoming um, to come back to Africa where, where we were um, taken and enslaved. Um, so for for me, I went in 2021, um, going into 2022, and I I felt like it was the first time that in our cultural history there was like almost like a, a reunion or reckoning, right, of what colonialism had done, what slavery has done, and a lot of the issues that Black Americans are dealing with in the United States because the organization was founded first for Black young women, then for all young women. Um, of color just because of the structural um, issues and things that we have to go through to be able to be financially empowered and close some of the gaps, both in wealth and um, educational pursuits, that it was important to start looking globally at how slavery and the, and the historic um, parts of that have played out for us all across, across the world. And because Ghana had already invited um, Black Americans and all those from um, different parts of diaspora from Europe, to come back and to convene and to kind of reshape what our future can look like as a people, I thought it would be the perfect place to launch um, Seeds Ghana as we start to look at the United States and beyond of how we can equal out the playing fields of all parts of colonialism that has affected our history, our wealth, and our education um, as a people holistically. Um, so after going in 2021 into 2022, we started to plan what can be done. And by 2022, going to 2023, um, we were able to connect with a young woman, um, Juliet, that has been running um, Girl Up United Nations um, Ghana chapter um, and talked to her. So we did um, for two to three weeks, we did some history, some research on how educational structures and systems were there, what were limiting um, young women to be financially empowered 
um, in the country? And then where could we step in and which one of our programs were the best fit um, to launch there? So our Girl Start a Business Plan competition, um, our funders are the Grant Cardone Foundation and BMO Capital Markets. Um, the Grant Cardone Foundation already had global reach in South Africa. So we inquired if the competition could be global um, and we could launch um, our Ghana chapter with the Girls Started Business Plan competition. So the girls are currently right now creating their business ideas. And the, the really important thing I feel like about that is our business plan competition is a little bit different because the girls, they come up with a business idea, but then they have to create a website to actually display that idea. So it's very important in this digital age that you gain digital literacy skill sets. And with so much gap, even in our own country with access to proper um, Wi-Fi bandwidth, broadband, just the digital divide is, is very real, even in this country, but also um, in Ghana as well. So some of the young women, they didn't know how to use um, computers yet. They had, didn't have email addresses um, created. So really creating those like digital skill sets is going to set them up for success beyond the competition. Um, so we're so excited to, to have launched there and, and the possibilities of other countries um, across the diaspora um, and the Caribbean to be able to make um, our seeds impact. So something that clearly at least comes across to me is that you are very entrepreneurial, right? Um, so I want to talk about your career before we wrap up. You founded Seeds in 2014 while you were a senior at Babson. So while everyone else was doing whatever in their dorm rooms, you were thinking about launching an organization to help other young women who were just like you, who were thinking about college or in college, and you're just trying to find your way. I met you when you were uh, an intern at Bloomberg. You interned, I believe, at MTV. Um, you later went to go to work at, at Viacom. Now you focus full-time on seeds and on your Walker Finance Initiative. You've been named one of Forbes 30 under 30. How, how, how did you actually decide, what propelled you to decide to walk away from great corporate roles to actually invest full-time in seeds and, in, and frankly, in yourself as an entity? I felt like for me, like it was like I had worked on this thing since college, right? Like I created in my dorm room. By the time I was like in mid-level management in my corporate career, we had been on our maybe fourth or third graduating class from college. So I had seen about six to seven years of impact um, that Seeds was, was making. And then our heightened and rapid growth during covid um, really ignited in me like, wow, like we have the potential, like it went from New York to Boston to DC to girls in California, Texas. Like I went to a college fair um, like in 2021, 2022, and there were C girls I never even met before. And we were like recruiting. We we're like, yeah, sign up for C. They're like, I'm already a C. I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I was just like, wow, like um, upon my 29th birthday, I was like going into my 29th birthday. I was like, you know what? I want to take a year to bet on myself. Like I had built this thing. It's like growing beyond what I would have ever thought or dreamed of. Um, my, my young women are in their careers as well now. Like I, I think at that time, our oldest class was like 23 or four. So they're like two years into their own corporate careers. And I was like, if I focused on this full time, 
how much more impact could we make as an organization? And I knew that in corporate, like my I my last job was at um, Business Insider, Business Intelligence, um, the B2B side of Business Insider. And I had a great reputation there and I worked really hard and I knew that they had prepared me um, to go off into the world. But you know what, if it, if seeds, you know, blew up and then I didn't want to do seeds anymore, I had to I had built a reputation for myself to be able to go back into the corporate world if that's something um, that I wanted to do. But I really felt that we had something special there and that, you know what, I could take a year just to see what would happen if I if I put 20, well, not 24 hours, you know, to sleep sometime in there, Karen. But if I put my full attention on it, how much more could it grow? What more could it be um, beyond just um, a small nonprofit um, that I had kind of started in my dorm room. And then the last part I would say is a business model. Like once I found out we had like a, a some type of business model, which goes back to kind of your question about the affirmative action um, Supreme Court ruling um, regarding colleges, that that is a part of our business model um, and of, if other um, nonprofit organizations as well. Um, so when I felt like we had some type of business model that we could like okay, we have a fundraising base, we have corporate supporters that, you know, will be here for a few years. You know what, like, why not? Take the leap, go, jump. What has, my final question to you is, what has surprised you? Have you, what have you learned about yourself or how the world works that, that, that surprised you? Oh my goodness, this happened to me recently and it was like so beautiful, Karen. So um, Fidelity is one of our partners. We love them. Um, and Fidelity Boundless is their high school and college asset management program. And they had me be the keynote speaker in North Carolina recently. And at the end of the day, one of the young women came up to me and she was like, oh, Natalia, like, I'm so glad I met you in person because my teacher actually had us do a like social impact assignment where she gave us list of Forbes, people that were on Forbes 30 under 30 that had social impact ventures that were impacting the world. And you were one of the people we had to study in class. And she's like, I've been following Seeds of Fortune ever since. And I'm like, so excited. And we took a picture for her teacher. And I was just like, wow, like I would have never thought like that, like me starting seeds, me like putting something into the world, like that people would, um, that it would influence people even beyond just like the seed members that we actually have. Now it's like a representation of like women entrepreneurship and leadership that that's trying to make change in the world. And people can see that and, and people are taking notice um, of, of that. So that was like, almost oh, beautiful of it, like, wow. I wasn't expecting that. That is very impressive. I want to thank you so much for chatting with me today. Always great catching up with you and learning more about the great work that you're doing. Natalia Walker, Seeds of Fortune, Inc. Thank you, Karen, so much for having me today. And that's it for this installment of Stepping Into Now. My audio producer and music composer is Spencer Wadsworth. Thanks for listening. You can find Stepping Into Now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And check out my website, steppingintonow.com. Until next time, I'm Karen Tudor.